Hey, this is Ron Moore, and I'm here with Maria Stockman, the host of Fresh Faith Podcast. Maria, thanks for being here. We have an exciting program today. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. We are going to interview Dave Shields, who is our director of recovery ministry here at the Bible Chapel, and he has such a cool story. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this interview. Uh, It's going to be a great story. And and before we get there, we want to just say a couple things. Um, We have uh, been going through a challenging time uh, in our country uh, with the COVID-19 and, um, you know, uh, businesses uh, have uh, gone to working remote and some have closed. And uh, it's kind of a, an anxious time where it has been. And we have a, a devotional that we'd love to give our listeners. It's called Refuge, Devotions for Finding Strength and Comfort. And I, Marie, I just went through uh, scripture and, and there are about uh, 70 or 80 uh, verses in here that were really encouraging to me and uh, did a little devotion with them, and we'd like to offer this uh, to our listeners. How do how would they get it? Yeah, I'm so excited for this to be available for you. This is my favorite devotional. Um, if you remember back when, when Ron interviewed me, I talked about this book a lot. It is awesome, and there's places for you to take notes. There's personal reflection, but these devotionals are amazing. So right now, we would love to give it away to you as a free resource. So if you email prayer at ronmore.org, let them know, and we will send you a refuge copy. Digital copy? Digital copy. So Dave Shields, as you said, is a pastor of recovery here at the Bible Chapel. Uh, Dave has uh, gone through uh, some tough things in his own life, uh, in the life of his family, to get him to this point. And so uh, I, I, think, um, I think those who listen will, will, be, um, will be moved by what Dave says. And also, I pray that after... Uh, this podcast, there'll be those who reach out to Dave to get get the help they yeah, need. Absolutely, yeah. It's a his story is powerful, and God is is and has been doing amazing things. But I think that Dave has offered a lot of resources in this podcast, and it is just it's he's going to speak about the subject of addiction um, through the Christian faith in a way that I think most people have just never heard before. I think you're right. I think you're right. So let's get into our conversation with Dave Shields. Well, it's great to be here today with Dave Shields. Dave, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me out. You're a Pittsburgh boy born and bred, right? Yes. Bethel Park. Steeler fan? Oh yeah. Pirates fan? Sadly, yes. Penguins fan? (laughs) Oh yeah. Is, Is hockey a sport? That's what I gotta know. Yes. <laughs> it's a sport. All right. Do I get in trouble saying, not a sport? <laughs> I get in trouble saying that around here. I can't my, follow the puck. My question yeah. is golf a sport? No. Uh, I don't think so. We just lost so. half of our viewers. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> How about one of the coolest things about you is your middle name. How did you get the middle name Boris? Dave, David Boris Shields. So I am named after both my grandfathers. So uh, my dad's grandfather was David, and my mom's grandfather was Boris. So they decided to name me after both my grandfathers. So then how did your grandfather get the name Boris? That's, I don't know that answer. So I wish I did, but I don't know. I just know that was his name, and that was given to me. And well, it's a great name. Thank it's you. A great middle name. And you've kind of become known around here as Boris. Yeah, it's, it seems to be sticking uh, once I shared that with everybody. And, and then the follow-up email that Ron sent out to the staff about that, like reiterating that that's your middle name. And <laughs> I don't know why it would stick. There's actually, no, I think it'll actually stick too because there's quite a few many Daves. That's true. So, yeah. yeah. So Dave, uh, you, you grew up in Pittsburgh. You got this normal uh, childhood. And at some point in there, and you can pick up the story there, at some point in there, uh, your life kind of took a turn, uh, not for the better, and uh, you got in, involved uh, in, in drugs. Um, kind of talk about how that, how that came to be. Kind of talk about that transition from this normal childhood, right? No, I put normal, I'm putting normals in air quotes here, right? Because mm-hmm. what's normal? But Pittsburgh childhood, and then things kind of took a turn. Yeah, so... Growing up, like any Pittsburgh home, um, we uh, most I have three older siblings, um, two older brothers and 
one sister, and we grew up, and the majority of our childhood was revolved around sports. Um, played a lot of sports, a lot of team sports, so um, that was what we did in our childhood. Uh, so then when I got to junior high is when I got exposed to drugs and alcohol. And uh, through experimenting with drinking and smoking weed and, and uh, using pills, um, this, was I, in jun- in this is high. in junior high, okay. and uh, I began to like it. Um, and my love for sports got trumped by a love for drugs and getting high and, and drinking. Um, and just, it was, at first it was fun. Um, me and my friends, we were doing it. it. It started as something we would do on the weekends. And then as I went throughout high school, we just uh, began to use drugs and drink more and more. And eventually, uh, by the time high school ended, I found myself full-blown uh, addiction to opiates. Hmm. Looking back, Dave, do you think at some point your body becomes physically addicted, right? Yes. But was your um, initial interest hanging out with your friends and kind of doing the things they were doing? I mean, if, if, if I'm a parent out there and, and I have this junior high kid, right, and I'm thinking, man, I don't, I don't want that to happen, what? What's the mind of the what was the mind of your junior high self that kind of brought you took you into that into that path? Yeah, I think I was looking for uh, approval, you know, wanting to be to fit in, wanting to uh, a certain crowd, uh, the cool crowd, the popular kids, and um, that's what they were doing. So I just kind of tagged along, and I got involved, and and they were drinking, so I started drinking. Um, I think a lot of my addiction um, came from insecurity and uh, fear from a young age. You know, I, I didn't want to um, didn't want to be rejected, so I did whatever it took to fit in with the crowd and to fit in with the the popular crowd. And at this time, the popular crowd they were drinking and and using drugs. Mm. So um, I think that was a driving force uh, that fear of rejection and just wanting to be approved by others. Um, and I felt a sense of worth in that when I was approved by those friends. Mm. And unfortunately, it's that that led me to spiral out of control and get physically addicted and led me down a path of uh, addiction. You are hanging out with your friend group uh, during this time when you're uh, kind of pursuing or, or becoming addicted to, to alcohol, drugs, finally uh, op- opioids. What's your relationship with your mom and dad and your other siblings like? Well, um, this this can be a, a difficult topic. So I come from a, a home of two loving parents. Um, we actually grew up. Uh, my mom, um, I would say, drug us to church, uh, <laughs> the Church of the Nazarene in, in Bethel Park. So I, can, I, I grew up, remember, going there, and she tried to instill that in me. My dad wasn't a believer growing up, uh, but they were loving they were very caring. They thought they were just a very loving home, um, almost to the point of it not uh, being good for the children. Um, at times, protecting us from experiencing consequences for bad decisions, um, not letting us be dependent. Um, you know, kind of. I would say I was I was spoon fed for a long time, and that didn't. Um, I don't think that helped me. I, I didn't think it was intentional with my parents. Um, because that's how they loved us as children. But looking back, I think that's something that inhibited my growth. They didn't let me become independent and make decisions myself and experience consequences. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had a good relationship with, uh, I had an older brother. I had a, a sister that's four years older than me. And I had a brother that was three years older than me that we, I was really close with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had a good relationship. Uh, there wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't much depth to it. I mean, we loved each other, but we didn't talk about the deeper things of life. Mm-hmm. It was very surface, and um, and I knew that we loved each other, but we didn't really get into the deeper things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's really where it was at. So raised uh, in church and raised, your mom at the time was a believer. Yes. Talk about your relationship, your spiritual journey during that time. Uh, was it existent? Was there thinking about, God's approval or disapproval as you were entering into this, uh, uh, you know, relationship with your friends and drugs or kind of what were you thinking about God during this time? I really had no view of God at all. Hmm. Um, 
I didn't regard God. Um, we went to church. Quite frankly, I wasn't listening at all. All I was thinking about was getting out and hanging out with my friends and, and doing, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, so actually, I just, God was non-existent in my life. Um, you could say that I was just, I wouldn't say, um, just kind of pushing God to the side. Um, and I just didn't have any regard for him. I was just living my own way how I wanted to do it. And that's kind of how I lived my life for a long time. So you're out of high school now. You're addicted to opioids. What's the what's the next step? Are you are you getting ready to go to college? Are you holding down a job? What where where are you in this uh, in this journey with drugs? Yeah. So um, actually, I played high school. Uh, I played golf in high school. Um, Is golf a sport? <laughs> I believe that's a tough question. <laughs> I think now more they're becoming more athletic. If you see the build of the gentleman and they take their health serious, and you start to seeing becoming more, you know, looking like an athlete. Um, Tunchokin always says, if you can, if you can do a so-called sport with, while smoking a cigar and on a date, it's really not a sport. Yeah, it's more of a hobby. So I, I can, you know, I can say with a, with a humble heart that I'm okay with that. Who smokes cigars on dates? I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just repeating what I've heard. So you did play a, you did play a sport in high school. You're a I, golfer. Okay. Yeah, I That's did. Cool. I played in high school. And then I, after I left high school, I went to Myrtle Beach um, to try to – I went to golf school to try to become a golf pro, okay. teaching pro. Um, and that's when my drug addiction just got out of control. Um, I was now I am I have no restraints. I'm out of the house, and I'm just basically partying, um, mm-hmm. no restraints at all. How are you existing? I mean, how how are you getting? How are, how are the funds coming in to make to for the for the for living at Myrtle Beach, going to school and doing drugs? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the funding came from my parents. Um, mm-hmm. They gave me money, um, and they. You know, they didn't necessarily know what I was doing with it. Um, I put on a good front. I could fake it. But eventually, as the Bible says, your sin finds you out. Mm -hmm. Um, And over time of doing the wrong thing, eventually, you know, I had to drop out of golf school. And they started to realize that uh, I had a problem. Um, And that's when I came home and started to go to CCAC. And I I attended CCAC for about a year, a year or two. and in that time, that's when my opioid addiction really skyrocketed. Um, I was using on a regular basis. Now I'm really physically dependent. I'm enslaved mm-hmm. to the drug. And, um, and that just led to further drug addiction. Um, left to me, me leaving CCAC, working some odds and end jobs just to get money to get high. Um, and what? then... Dave, so so um, you make it through high school. You graduate from high school. You go to this golf school in Myrtle Beach. How did you hit? The, what what caused you to hit the wall? What caused you to kind of say to to hit a wall that you had to move back to this area and then uh, go to CCAC and all that? What what? Well, at first the, in Myrtle Beach, um, the, the wall was. I got kind of thrown out of the school. Uh, okay. I stopped attending classes, and it was. Uh, I wouldn't say it was thrown out, but I was, you know, I failed out mm-hmm. of golf school. I wasn't attending. It got to the point where I just stopped attending class, and I stayed in a condo all day and got high uh, and drank. Um, and that was the, you know, I had nowhere else to go at this point, um, and I uh, just decided to come back to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to Pittsburgh, going to CCAC and started using drugs, and after, you know, I left CCAC after about a year and a half, I believe it was, I started to use heroin, and through that heroin addiction, um, me and a couple buddies, we got arrested in Mount Oliver, and that was uh, one of the big changing points, turning points in my life, um, where I really took a step back, because I hadn't been arrested to this point. Um, When I was in high school, I had been arrested for underage drinking a couple times, but now getting caught with drugs. I realized that I had a major problem, and after uh, what's interesting, I see God's mercy all over this hand over my life, is when we got arrested in Mount Oliver, the police officer put me on the curb, and he looked at my ID, and he said, you're from Bethel Park. He said, I I never want to see you again, and he let me go, 
and he didn't charge me with anything. Um, we had drugs on us. And that was the point I went home and I cried out to my parents and told them I have a major problem with, I'm physically addicted to heroin mm -hmm. and I need help. And that mm -hmm. was a changing point in my life. Mm -hmm. They talked to, uh, talk to the person who is listening and, um, you know, you, you've talked about your progression. So you drank a little bit, did a little bit of marijuana, and then it's opioids, and now it's heroin. And now you're, I mean, you're in, you're, you're all in the drug, right? Talk to the person who just says, yeah, I just drank a little bit, and not a big deal. And, um, you know, I do a little weed, not a big deal. And, you know, I have some pills every once in a while, but I, I got it under control. Talk to that person a little bit. Yeah, so for me, from on my journey, um, it always with drugs, with with drinking and smoking weed, uh, it, it was never enough. Um, you know, I was always searching for a, a greater high. Where um, at some point, you know, you think you have it under control, and this is all I'm gonna do. Um, but for my personal story, it, you know, it was never enough. You know, um, once you start to build a tolerance to alcohol and marijuana, you have to smoke more and more and drink more and more to get the effect you want where uh, I found out with opiates, you know, you can you get high quickly, and the high is really strong. So eventually it turns into, um, you know, you just want that. You know, so for the person that um, is just, you know, just drinking and smoking weed and they think they can control it, I think you're really playing with fire. Um, you're leaving yourself open to... Um, possibly going to stronger drugs you're, you're always putting yourself in danger of, of wanting more and and need, need not just wanting more your body needs more right yes and the thing is with it's 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 like i could have with alcohol um because i was drinking excessively you know um i could have kept going and, and drinking with more and i i would became an alcoholic you know eventually mm -hmm. but um Somehow, some way, I got hooked up with the opiates, and I found that you can get high quicker and stronger, and I didn't have to drink this amount. So it was like, oh, this is perfect. I don't need to put all this effort in and do all these this drinking, and uh, it just make it easier and quicker. And it was like, oh, this is this is this, this is this is what I've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. This is what I've been longing for, and it's all a trap because mm -hmm. once you start doing it, you do it over and over again, and before you know it, you, you've lost control of your life. So there's a parent out there that says, thank God I live in uh, Bethel Park or I live in Upper St. Clair or I live in this township because I know my, my kid can't get any uh, drugs in this safe place uh, where we live. How uh, available uh, are drugs to the high school student? So uh, I graduated high school in 2003, and I would say if I had to put a percentage on it um, with with just drinking, I would say 80% of the kids were, were experimenting with drinking. And, uh, you know, getting marijuana was as easy as uh, buying a pack of gum from Kogos. I mean, you just you just direct you to the there's per people all around selling this in the school. Um, you just got to, you know, you just ask a few people around mm -hmm. and they'll direct you to who to ask and you can get it. Um, so I think there's with you know, Bethel Park and Upper St. Clair, and um, I think there's a, uh, how would I say it? They, 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 we think it's different than maybe uh, worse areas in Pittsburgh where you go to an area where it's heavily drug-ridden. Um, but I think we have t to realize that this is just not true and how rampant addiction is spreading in this area and how many households in Bethel Park and Upper St. Clair and Peters, um, how many people are actually struggling with addiction. And it's, you know, um, we don't have to put on a front and act like everything is okay um, because we, it's, it's uh, you know, we want to be seen in a certain light. And it's, it's very shameful when your child is struggling with addiction. You don't have to be ashamed you know this struggle is going on all around us and um i just i I, uh, I would hope that you would call out for help and get the help you need because there's a lot of people out there and a lot of parents 
that are struggling right now with mm-hmm. their children and addiction that are, 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 uh, are, are kind of scared to say anything. They don't want to be seen in that light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pray that they would push through the comforts, their, their fear, get through that and reach out and get help. So you are um, at home. You're letting your parents know that you've got a, you got a problem. You need some help. What's the next step? What do you do next? So at this point, um, my brother, who had also been uh, addicted to heroin, was living in Florida. He had moved from Pittsburgh to Florida to get clean, and he had several years clean living in Florida. Uh, seemed to be doing well. So my parents decided to uh, ship me down to Florida to live with him to um, to get clean and, and try to get my life together. Uh, unfortunately, for uh, the, the first two years I lived in Florida, I continued in my addiction. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I moved to Florida, um, they had more pain management clinics writing scripts than they had McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the, they were called the pill mills. It was the the height of the opioid uh, epidemic with the pills. And I went down there, and it was everywhere, right, every corner. And uh, I continued in addiction. And then after two years, uh, I was working at a golf course. My brother and I, we were in a local golf course in Florida. I was heavily in addiction. Um, I can remember the day still. I was working outside. I was working the bag room. We put we load people's bags up on the carts and stuff. And uh, my brother was working in the pro shop. And I was sick that day. And I was sitting in the cart barn where we parked the carts. And I was shivering, shaking, sick, crying. And um, my brother knew that I was in trouble. And at this point, I was actually living out of my car because he kicked me out of the house. So I was just kind of wandering around. A gentleman from a local church came into the pro shop. And uh, one thing led to another. And it led to a conversation with my brother. And this gentleman uh, told my brother about a free... A residential discipleship program for men who struggle with addiction. It's a year-long program, and uh, my brother, after work, came to me and he he told me that's the place I need to go. Uh, it was free, and I had, you know, I was at my wits' end, hmm. and I just decided to uh, take his advice. And I remember uh, that was it. I remember the uh, program picked me up. I had a, a duffel bag and a basketball, <laughs> and I went into the residential program. Hmm. Hmm. At this time, you're not a you're not a believer. I am not. Yeah, not. And so, you're going to this church thing to get help. Kind of talk through that a little bit. <laughs> this is a the funny part of the story. So, this is 2009. I entered into the the ministry, the program, and I remember uh, when I got there, the the first month in, the ministry goes on a retreat once a year, and uh, we're we're on a campground, and I see, and I know nothing about the faith. Like, they're talking about the Trinity, and Jesus is the Son of God, and I am like, these, where am I? Um, <laughs> like, this stuff, I don't know if this is for me. And then uh, we're sitting around a campfire, and they're singing worship songs, and they're like hugging each other, and I'm thinking, is this a cult? Um, what am I doing here? Like, I knew nothing about the faith. Um, but the one thing that changed my life that I think God used to save me is I saw the love that the brothers had for each other. Hmm. And I I had never seen that. I had never seen this type of unity, this type of love that they exhibited. And I was, man, it it just intrigued me. And I said, and I, I was almost like, I want what they have. And I don't know how I'm gonna get there, but whatever they tell me to do, I want to experience that. It was something, now I sit back and think, it was the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. working. Um, Yeah, so for the first four to six months in the Christian residential, you're required to read the Bible every day. And I read the Bible for, I would say, four months, and I did not get anything out of it. But I just did what they told me to do. Um, And I just kept reading it and kept reading it. And... I just, I saw the leaders in the ministry and I saw that God had changed their lives. I saw that they were clean, that God had restored their families. I saw these things going on around me. 
and this is what they were telling me to do if I could get what they had. Like, this is what you got to do. So I kept reading the Bible, kept serving in the church, still not a believer. <laughs> and then it just it clicked. Uh, I got saved um, just reading and going to church. And we used to go Saturday nights, and I can remember church every Saturday night when I received Christ. It was, it was uh, my eyes were open. And I saw it for what it was, and that Jesus died on the cross for me, and um, I received Him as my Lord and Savior, and that's kind of when things started to change. You know, a lot of times, and you know this uh, better than anyone else, um, uh, people will hit a wall. Um, they're addicted to drugs. They hit a wall, and they go to um, some type of recovery program. Uh, in your case, it was a church, and then you know, after about a month, they're feeling pretty good about themselves and and say, okay, I'm out of here because I don't want these restrictions. But for you, what it was the it was the love of the people around you and you're seeing something different in their life. So you kind of fell in love with Christians before you fell in love with Christ. Yes. I really did. And um the the love that they were showing me, I just it was it was head scratching to me. As an early, as a person that had yet not been, was yet not a believer, mm-hmm. and then eventually a couple months later I got saved, like I was experiencing this. I'm like, why are they showing me this unconditional love? Like, why are they being this nice to me? Like, why are they like sacrificing for me and doing things for me? And I don't just like, it's like almost I didn't deserve it, but they were like lavishing this on me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that just, it intrigued me is the word I would use to want to get to know where they were getting this love. And that's what led me to read the scriptures and get to know God because um, that's where they said they they were getting it from. Mm -hmm. So that's what really led me to doing Mm -hmm. that. Talk about uh, your, you're addicted, right? So you go there and you have to stop uh, taking the pills. You have to stop doing the things you were doing. you do that for four months, and then you became a Christian. Talk about that journey of being addicted and now working your way to the point where you're not depending on the drugs, right? You're an ad- you still would say, I'm an addict, and I always have to be careful. Right. At the same time, you're, you, you be, you've been freed uh, from um, you know, that addiction. So kind of talk through that, how, how you quit using, and then... The change that Christ made, and and even the, the 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 new level of uh, strength that you had after that. Yeah, it was uh, for me the thing that I always that that changed was um, I, I think growing up a lot of my life I was known as a quitter, and I just anything when every time got tough or anything in life happened that was difficult, I ran. And uh, when I came into this program in Florida and I, I came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, there was, a, I think there was almost like a, a commitment or a covenant I made with God that I wasn't going to quit anymore. And that was always in the, the, the front of my mind. Like it was always when times got tough, when I, when I thought like, I don't need this place I always reminded myself, like, don't quit, stay, fight. Um, because there there was in the program at six months and 11 months where I wanted to leave. But I knew in the back of my mind, quitting always led to destruction. Mm-hmm. Running led to my demise. And I knew that I needed to stay if I wanted to, to change and see different results in my life. Um, so... It was just it was just a fight. It was a I didn't I was tired of being physically um, addicted to something to be enslaved. Like the drug told me when to eat. It told me when to sleep. It told me when to do everything. Like I worshipped it. It was, and I was tired of having to obey that in my life. Mm. And when I started to get clean and I started to see things in a, in a different lens. Um, I just didn't want to go back to that. It was, for me, it was just, it was, um, it was, it was brutal. 
like the pain and the physical withdrawals and the, the constantly having to have the drug um, is kind of what motivated me to, to stay and to fight in the beginning. And then um, one, one thing that really led to change in my life was the, uh, when I read Second Corinthians 5.17, you know, the older passed away, you're a new creation in Christ. Mm-hmm. That really changed my life. Uh, for me, uh, going into the program in Florida, I, was, I didn't know who I was. I think a lot of people in addiction, they're in an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. Um, most of the time, they're being fake. They're putting on a front. You know, they, they don't really know who they are as a person. Because in, in addiction, you, your identity just gets it's out the window. You don't, you know, that's it forms your identity, actually, the, the, the drugs and the addiction. So when Christ came in and told me that I was a new creation, that my identity was now in Christ, it gave me hope that first and foremost, I'm a Christian now. And even though I may struggle with sin, I may struggle with addictive tendencies, those don't define me anymore. I am defined by my relationship with Christ. And I remember pastor going over that with me. And it really changed my thinking and it gave me hope because in my mind, I always thought that I was going to be this low-life drug addict the rest of my life. This is who I am. This is all I know. I don't see a way out of this. This is who I've always been. And Christ gave me a new identity. And really embracing that new identity started the trajectory of change in my life. So how long were you at in the program in Florida? It was 12 months, but I actually stayed 16. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I actually became a leader. Well, the the church down there, um, what happened is I graduated the program and then I started working in the facilities department and I worked in the facilities department at the church for two years. And during the two years of working at facilities, uh, I continued to volunteer back at the program with the men doing Bible studies, taking men out to play golf or come to my house to watch college football Saturday nights. That was our big thing. And, you know, I was just investing, you know, sharing my life with the guys that were in the program uh, after I left. And then um, after working the facilities for a few years, the assistant director job came open and uh, they uh, fortunately, um, I was fortunate enough to get hired to be on staff at the Calvary House. And I worked there for five years uh, helping to lead the ministry. That's fantastic. We're going to talk uh, in, a, in just a second about uh, your ministry here uh, at the Bible Chapel and your ministry in the Pittsburgh area uh, in the recovery ministry. Uh, but I know this is a hard story, but talk a little bit about your brother. Um, your brother's three years older than you. You guys are very, very close. You lived with him for a while, and... And uh, even hearing the story, I mean, he he uh, he knew the ropes, right? He knew to give you some tough love to say, you know, if you're going to do this, you're you're on your own, which led to you really getting the help you needed. Uh, but some some things didn't turn out so well uh, in his life, and just just talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, like I said previously, my brother before me uh, was an opiate and heroin addict, and he moved to Florida and got clean. And uh, I'm when I got into my addiction and in, in, in Pittsburgh, I moved in with him in Florida. And um, he was clean originally when I first moved down to Florida, which was 13 years ago now. I moved in with him, and he took me in at my worst. And he saw me, and uh, he helped me. And uh, he's the one who actually um, got me thinking about going to church. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I moved in with him, he had a Bible on his table, and I didn't know he was a believer. I didn't even, I mean, I didn't know he attended church. Uh, so I saw it to see that in him. But um, So I lived in Florida with him for three years. And then I went to Calvary House. And then after I left Calvary House, uh, we, we did life together in Florida for the next, you know, eight years. We were best friends. Um, he had his struggles. He uh, relapsed through those eight years. Um, he went back and forth with drugs often. Um, but we had some really sweet times where he was attending my small group. 
that's actually interesting. I introduced him to one of my mentors, and he mentored both of us hmm. at one point. Um, but through those times, uh, I stayed clean by the grace of God, uh, but he continued to go back and forth getting high. Unfortunately, about four months ago, um, he lost the battle, and um, he, he overdosed and died. Um, and uh, it's it's been difficult. <laughs> the, the reason... <clears throat> sorry. Mm. So for me, working in recovery in Pittsburgh and, and in Florida, um, it, it's been difficult recently because a lot of people are dying. And um, I just had another gentleman who was attending uh, our recovery ministry in Washington, and he was there for a while, and he went back out and died last week. So every time kind of someone dies, it refreshes the mm-hmm. memory of my brother passing four months ago. Um, but the unbelievable thing about my brother and our relationship is he's the one. He's, he, he saved my life. He took me in, and he pushed me in the right direction. And if it wasn't for him, I would... He's the one who led me to Christ. He's the one who, who mm-hmm. told me to go to the program and this is what you need to do. And I took his advice and uh, I'm forever grateful for what he did for me. And um, it's, it was a sad ending. But through my brother's death, uh, I've actually been reconnected with a lot of high school friends who I haven't seen in years and reconnecting with uh, friends that aren't believers. And now through my brother's death, I'm able to have friendships and uh, share the gospel with with uh, friends I went to high school with that don't know Jesus. Mm. The unconditional love that you saw from all those guys in Florida uh, when you first uh, went to the Calvary House uh, is the unconditional love that God gives us. And so, uh, what a what a a great thing it is to know the truth of Scripture that uh, your brother uh, is uh, passed from death to life, and um, you know, you, you think about uh, an ending that was hard, and yet God's, God's hand was on his life, and God's unconditional love uh, never allows us to escape uh, his hand. I think some parents need to be reminded of that, you know, who are going through some really hard times uh, when they realize that uh, their child has become a Christian but then relapsed and, and gone through that. But God never lets them go, does he? He does not, and, and that's... For me and, and the ministry that we do, that's uh, our main focus is the eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, because often in recovery, one day you can see somebody, and the next day you may, may not see them again. But uh, when they do put their faith and trust in Christ and they have that eternal security, um, that's what matters the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, often um, I, I think we need to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Um, it's hard not to get focused on the temporal and, you know, we, we so desire for them to get clean. We so desire them for, to get well, but in the end, what is the, the main goal is that they know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and uh, they, they spend eternity with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just think that's, that's the hope that we have. And that's why we keep, uh, sharing the gospel with urgency. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would encourage, encourage parents to, uh, do that with their children, um, if you're a Christian parent, um, you know, don't beat them over the head with the Bible, mm-hmm. but uh, be wise and, and make the time count mm-hmm. and um, make the, the most of your opportunities to share the faith with them, um, even if they're high. Um, you may not think they're getting it, um, and they may reject it. Uh, I rejected it for a long, long time, um, but eventually it clicked. Mm-hmm. So I'll just pay you know, continue to press on and continue to share the love of Christ with your child. So you moved back to Pittsburgh, and uh, you've been ministering here uh, in the Pittsburgh area uh, with the recovery ministry for almost two years? It'll be two years in June. Two years in June. Uh, Dave, talk a little bit about that ministry. What What's the ministry entail, and what are how can some people reach out to you and um, and just talk about how you are interacting with uh, those, not only those in addiction, but I, w- I, I want to focus on the families as well because I think that's the, that's the group that just goes through a lot of pain and angst and guilt and everything as their child is, you know, going through the addiction aspect. So start talking about your ministry and particularly with the family. 
Yeah, so currently um, we are, uh, the recovery ministry is at two locations. We're at the, the Bible Chapel in Washington and the Bible Chapel at the South Hills campus. Uh, Monday nights at 7 p.m. in Washington, we have a, a meeting for the recovering addict. Uh, and then Thursday nights at the South Hills, we have a meeting for the recovering addict as well. Um, and, and that's a time for them, the people that personally struggle with addiction, to come out to, to receive support, uh, community, and uh, to, to, be, to help them through their struggle. And then Wednesday nights, um, or Chapel Wednesday at 6.30, we've held a class at the South Hills campus for families of addicted loved ones. And this class uh, has provided a way to give practical and biblical guidance for those who have been affected by someone else's addiction. Um, now, through this class Wednesday night, it has been really um, a blessing to be a part of it, to see the uh, community that is being built. Uh, we have actually had um, some of the women from the class, they have actually built a prayer group where they meet a different night of the week and they get together mm. and they pray for each other. And now we're, they're hanging out and uh, they're building bonds. And uh, I really think for the parent who's going through the struggle of their loved one having addiction, um, uh, first and foremost, that the priority is their relationship with God and the health of that relationship. So often when you have a, a loved one in addiction, they consume your life. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that God is priority and um, you're not getting consumed by the addicted loved one. Make sure that your relationship with him is healthy. And then the second part of that is building bonds with other believers. And I really think that's the recipe to, uh, to the ability to have strength and to walk through this journey, uh, through this battle, is your relationship with God and your relationship with other believers and that's what we really stress. And uh, Wednesday night has been really sweet to see the people come together. And we're really starting to see, um, you know, the, the, the group just being built up. And then you start to see hope. And you start to see um, God really moving. And um, the other aspect of it is if you're personally struggling with addiction or someone, um, if you're affected by someone else's addiction, you can always contact me, and I'd be more than willing to meet, to talk, uh, to listen, to offer support, to offer guidance on a one-on-one, -on -one more private setting. Uh, often, um, I know this can be a, um, a tough topic, and it's, it's, a very shameful, uh, it's a very shameful thing. And mm -hmm. often, I think the, the private setting is better, and uh, if... if if that's if you out there, someone out there is personally struggling, or they're um, a mother and a father, or a wife or a husband or whatever, and you have someone in your life that's struggling with addiction, uh, if you can contact me, and I'll be more than welcome to meet you and to offer uh, support and guidance. Great, great. We'll put all that information uh, on the podcast notes, and so if anyone uh, is again struggling uh, personally with addiction, or you have a family member. Uh, we've got some great opportunities here for you to get the help you need and get the support you need uh, as you as you walk through that. Uh, Dave, uh, so often we think of uh, physical addiction as uh, our addiction as physical, and it is. Uh, but there's also the spiritual battle uh, going on. And one of the things that I, I love that you do is really put uh, the addiction in a biblical context. So talk a little bit about that. Um, we were talking earlier, just um, uh, you know, putting putting uh, the the addiction uh, in really a biblical and spiritual context. Yeah. So often, um, you know, when we think of addiction or alcoholism, um, our first inclination is not to run to God's word. I think a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, but God has a lot to say about addiction. You just got to know how he speaks to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you won't see alcoholism or addiction in the Bible, but you will see idolatry and drunkenness. And the interesting thing is the two dominant views of addiction is disease or choice. And um, I think addiction navigates a unique terrain of volunteerism and slavery. 
where we are responsible for our choices, yet we're enslaved by them. And the Bible actually acknowledges this reality when you look at the doctrine of sin. Now, we are sinners in action and sinners in choice. We're sinners um, by birth and we're sinners, I'm sorry, we're sinners in action and sinners in nature, sinners by choice and sinners by birth. So for me, when you look at addiction, and oftentimes um, people, you you don't want to call it sin. But if you look at it biblically, I think there's much more hope when you recognize addiction as sin because God has a solution for sin. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, to give us new life and to empower us with his Holy Spirit to help us, to enable us to walk in victory and to walk in freedom. Um, so I actually, for personally, if I look at the Bible, um, a lot of times I, I think, um, I, I just think it's important to see how if we look at the Bible and how the doctrine of sin is, it mirrors addiction. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with someone in addiction, how... Um, like I said before, we're sinners by birth, but sinners by choice. It's both. It's, it's slavery to sin. And Christ has offered a way, a solution to that sin problem. And that doesn't mean that the struggle is going to go away overnight. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a battle. But over time, as you commit to the fight, after, and when you become a believer, if you commit to the faith and you continue to walk with, with the Lord over time, he starts to reorient your desires, and he starts to, he, he starts to, um, the, the new man in you grows, mm-hmm. where um, you can start to see more victory. So um, I think it's valuable when we look at addiction to see it, uh, the Bible, it, it, it's sin, and God has offered a solution for it, and I think that gives more hope. And I think that Christ is the answer when it comes to addiction. Hmm. I think it's well said. And I think, you know, in your own personal journey, you said when uh, you were reading Scripture and, and, you, and you trusted in Christ, but then you saw uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone trusts in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's where your identity began to be, not in the, not in the in insecurity or, um, you know, quitting or... Uh, anything in your past, but but really, uh, what Jesus had done for you. Yeah, it, it was it was a uh, for me that the often the change uh, that will that I've realized and something I try to implement in the recovery ministry. It's often perspective and identity. Uh, those shifts is really what uh, starts to produce change. You know, starting to uh, replace the lies that are in your head with the truth. Of God's scripture and changing that perspective to a biblical perspective. Often in addiction, it's just one big lie. You know, you, you formulated these lies in your life and this, this belief system of lies, and it's, it's purging yourself of those lies and filling yourself with truth, and then really embracing this new identity. Um, often, um, to kind of to swing back a little bit, um, something that I've seen in, in the years I've done um, recovery ministry is, is the people that really start to move forward and progress away from addiction and start to see new life is uh, those who really embrace the forgiveness of the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, people in addiction really have a hard time of letting go of their past and what they've done, and they kind of hold that over themselves. Um, but once they start to realize the, the totality and the, the, the magnitude of the forgiveness and they start to embrace that forgiveness, that their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, that God, you know, he wipes them away. And once they start to see that and embrace that on a daily basis, I think that the freedom starts to come in their life. Uh, that's, that's a big one because they, they have a hard time embracing forgiveness and accepting it. And that, that's a changing point, I think, for the, the person in addiction. Right. David, I'd like to, for you to talk to a, a couple uh, different groups uh, first. There are people who are listening, and um, there's an addiction going on in their life. Uh, maybe it's alcohol, 
So maybe it's uh, opiates that's, uh, that they're addicted to, and maybe no one else knows it at this point, right? It, sooner or later, as we said earlier, your sins, your sins will find you out. Talk to that person. Encourage that person. And, uh, and, and let them know um, that you're here for them and we're here for them and, and we want to get them the help they need. So for, for that person, I, I would uh, first and foremost let them know that there is a better way, that, that God has, has more for you. I know that you're most likely riddled with shame and guilt and uh, over of, of what's going on in your life. And I would let them know that Christ died on the cross for that shame, for that guilt. And I would let them know um, to, to reach out for help, mm-hmm. to don't stay isolated, to reach out and to um, don't deny that you have a problem. First, you got to recognize you have a problem and that you need help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would tell that person to get connected to a local church to uh, a Christian recovery group, and um, that don't give up. You know, there, there is hope. Uh, there is hope in Christ that in Him you can overcome. Um, that it, um, it may seem hopeless right now. You may feel powerless. And uh, I, I would hope that you would find someone that you can reach out to and ask for help. And push through the fear and the discomfort and uh, that shame and that guilt and just reach out and take the first steps to getting the help you need. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's really what I would say. Second group, talk to um, families out there, maybe moms or dads or brothers or sisters who uh, they have a sibling or they have a son or daughter who's uh, addicted and uh, they, they see the life. Uh, you know that they see the destruction that's going on, uh, and um, you know, as a, as a parent with a child, you're, you they hold your heart in their hands. Um, encourage that parent. Encourage those siblings who have that one they love uh, going through uh, addiction. So so often, um, as parents, um, it's hard not to feel responsible for your child's actions. And uh, while the parent, uh, you have some things that you could have done better, and there's some things that you you probably need to repent of and and go to God and work those things out for things you've done wrong, but you have to know for the most part that you're not responsible for what's taking place, especially if it's a, you know, your, your, your child. Um, if they're, you know, older, 18 or older, you're not responsible for their decisions. You, um, you always say to my mom and dad, um, you're not, my dad struggled with drinking Mm -hmm. and he, he is not responsible for my addiction. Um, and I think the parents need to know that, that your child is making their own decisions, Mm -hmm. even though they seem very poor, but don't bear that burden. It's not on you, um. And, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, that can be a very tough thing because you can feel very guilty for the things you've done. And this, again, is where we run to the cross. We run to Christ and because uh, he is there for us and he, um, mm-hmm. in our time of need. And he, um, along with Christ, getting with other believers in the church, to, to, to find comfort and to find strength, and especially getting with uh, fellow strugglers, I would call it, that mm-hmm. are going through your same situation where you guys can lock arms and uh, fight this battle together. Um, so the parents, don't, don't let the shame, again, the shame and the, um, the I would say, your pride hold you back from taking a step forward and getting involved in a group to get help, um, to get support, for your situation, uh, reach out again, reach out to the church and start to, uh, get involved with other believers that you can fight this battle with, because that's how you're going to find strength. It's, uh, strength and hope and comfort in the moment, uh, with, with your relationship with God and relationship with other believers. And mm-hmm. I don't know how people do it without faith. Mm-hmm. It, addiction is, is, um, 
it it is devastating it encompasses as a parent it encompasses your whole life it takes over and i think what is going to get you through if your loved one isn't changing nothing's changing what's going to get you through is your relationship with god and your relationship with other believers and that's where you're going to find your strength and that's why i think the church is vital um oftentimes i uh I would just encourage the parents to get connected to the church, to the Bible chapel. Come out, mm-hmm. be a part of the family. Um, it doesn't necessarily, and we, we'd love to come, you for you to come to our recovery meeting Wednesday night, but it doesn't have to be that. Just come out and um, you know start to build friendships with people in the church and just to build those bonds because that's what's, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what's the, uh, the key ingredient to be able to handle what life is throwing at you with your addiction of your loved one. Right, right. Well, I think that's well said, and I think anyone uh, struggling uh, in these areas, uh, we are uh, well, you're welcomed here at the Bible Chapel, and, and we would love to uh, walk with you through this. Uh, Dave Shields uh, has been our guest today, and uh, you can reach out to Dave. All his contact information will be on the podcast notes, and and um, you know, just receive the help you need and and the encouragement you need. Uh, and again, you don't have to walk through this thing alone. There are others who uh, are are more than ready, and more than willing, and more than able uh, to walk with you. Always pointing you to Christ, uh, because that's the only place we get our strength and 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 true encouragement from Him. Well, Dave, as we wrap this up, will you uh, will you pray for us? Uh, sure. Just pray as the Lord leads you regarding. Uh, those listening and some of the battles that they may be going through. Father, we come before you today with humble hearts. God, we are thankful for who you are, and we're thankful that you are near to the brokenhearted. And I pray for all those out there that are struggling with an addiction. God, I pray that you would break through, that they would come to the end of themselves that they would reach out for help and that they would know that Christ, you came to this earth to die in their place so they may be forgiven of their sins and they may have a new life. I pray in their deep despair and in their struggle that you would meet them right where they're at and that you would pull them out of that pit and that you would put them on a new path. And I pray for all the loved ones out there that who have been affected by someone else's addiction. It's, it's, a, it's a tough road, and sometimes it can be disheartening, and uh, there can seem there's no hope. And I pray, God, that they would look to you, Christ, that you would be their hope, that you would be their joy, and that you would meet their needs, God, that you would comfort them, right where they're at, that you would give them strength to continue to push on. And uh, God, I just pray for the, the Pittsburgh area as we look at addiction and just ravaging communities and homes. And God, I pray, Jesus, that you would do a mighty work, God, that you would uh, bring people to yourself and that many would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that uh, those who are struggling with addiction or have been affected by addiction would reach out to the church and come out and uh, experience the love of Christ because we know that you are the answer. So I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Dave, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. We had such a great time interviewing Mm -hmm. Dave, and uh, one of the things that he said that was just my absolute favorite is he said, drinking and drugs were never enough. I was always searching for a greater high. And as you just heard, he found that greater high in Jesus. And we're so proud of him and, and the work that he's doing. You know, um, Dave has a great ministry with, as he talked about today, with families, uh, with people going through addiction. And, um, you know, maybe, uh, Maria, a person is not on drugs, but there's a lot of people looking for a greater high, right? Yeah. Um, they're searching uh, to fill that void uh, in their heart. 
and um, it can only find that through Christ. And you know, we'd love to. If you're listening and, and you you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, man, we would love to talk with you and and just um, tell you about Jesus and what He's done for us and what He can do for you. He is the ultimate uh, greater high. Let let people know how they can contact us. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about um, a personal relationship with Jesus, or if you have any prayer requests, we would love for you to email us at prayer at ronmore.org. And again, we would love to give you a free digital copy of our refuge devotional. And so if you email prayer at ronmore.org, we will get that to you. Great. Thanks for joining us on our Fresh Faith Podcast.